being a new year, let's start with Psalm 1. It's around about the middle of your Bibles. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But he delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates daily and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whether he, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And that is the word of the Lord. Last year we had a look at, the last sermon in last year, we had a look at perfection and affection in our sanctification. This year we're going to, this start of the year, we're going to look at what indeed is that path to perfection. And Psalm 1 is a wonderful place to give us that. Today, therefore, we're going to have a look at what this means for us and that there's a wonderful passage in the Bible speaking of perfection. Let's look closely at Psalm 1 and in association with that also the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. But let indeed God guide us as we study these passages. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask that you by your Holy Spirit will open our hearts and minds this morning that we may understand Psalm 1 in the same way that David would have understood it as he wrote it down. May it indeed also change our lives, may it change it for the better, and may we even become better at sharing what you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it would be totally appropriate to state from the outset that there has only ever been one man, one human being, that we know to have lived a perfect life and righteousness. That man is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, with that truth firmly established in our hearts and minds, we can now move on and look at our own path to perfection. As we read the Holy Scriptures, we meet some wonderful and some godly men throughout the Bible. The man who wrote Psalm 1 for 1, King David, he was a godly man, but not perfect. In Acts 13.22, we read about this. God testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That's, that's a pretty good statement to be. I wish he would say that about me. Matthew, who faithfully recorded the Sermon of the Mount, was also a godly man, and yet not perfect. Let me also invite into this group men like Daniel and Nehemiah, Noah, Moses, 
and of course Paul, all godly men, but none of them perfect. But they were striving for perfection, that they did. When we read about these men, we read about some of their problems too, their sinfulness. However, more importantly, we read about their perseverance and their focused lives before God. And obviously, the outpouring of God's grace on each one of them. We are going to have much time to look at men on the other side of the coin, but we won't. Men that did not honor God with their lives other than making sure that we understand that they also lived and died outside of the realm of the grace and the mercy of God. And whilst we're in the area of salvation or condemnation, let us also make sure we comprehend the truth we know about what forgiveness is. We only have one sin Jesus calls out as unforgivable. In verse 28 here we have, Truly I tell you, Jesus says, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. That is written in Mark 3, 28, 29. It is from Jesus that these words came. So even if we know all by one sin is forgivable, we must also comprehend and understand and not misunderstand it, that our need for repentance for all our sins are still there. Repentance and pleading for forgiveness, all is an integral part of our perseverance, the one that we do each and every day. That is also what David and the other psalmists do when they write some of their psalms. Psalm 1 is a wonderful entry point to the whole of the richness of the Psalter. It is a psalm that must have practical effects if it is to achieve the purpose for which God gave us this particular passage. It introduces us to the way, the path in which we may find happiness and indeed fulfillment in life. It is by meditation and a delight of the law of God that we will find the warnings as well as the eventual and eternal ruin if we don't. It's all there for us. Verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But he delights is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. See, we see clearly that there are two ways to live. And this is also made plain to us by Jesus as recorded also by Matthew in chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for the wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Jesus also speaks later on in the same chapter of the two opposing sides when speaking of the wise and the foolish builders. There's always two sides. This makes Psalm 1 maybe 
for all of us should make us the clearest and the most carefully developed at a full expression of the teaching of the entire Bible. I'm sure you'll all agree that this psalm must be classified as a wisdom psalm. Or as Temper Longman III, he wrote, uh, he's, a, he's a scholar, a, a Christian scholar. He wrote, Psalm 1 deliberately draws two portraits in our minds. The portrait of the wicked man and the portrait of the wise man. The question then is posed, which are we? The very first word of this psalm is blessed. A powerful word at the best of times. But even more so when you consider the true meaning of the word in its original context, in the original language. A biblical scholar again, like a guy, James Boyce from America, put it this way. He said, blessed means supremely happy and fulfilled. In fact, in Hebrew, the word is actually a plural which denotes either multiplicity of blessings or indeed an intensification of them. So therefore, James Boyce says this verse may be correctly translated as the blessednesses of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. There are so many blessings that comes from that. It is not correct language, but it is true. Jesus sets out in Matthew 5, 1 to 10, a string of ways in which we are blessed, and he adds the benefits of those blessings. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. They will see God. They will be called children of God. And theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Are there any benefits there that you are missing? It was explained to me once that to fully appreciate the positive sides of life, I must also have the contrast to highlight the positive parts. The psalmist does this indeed so well. For you and I to experience the happiness of the blessedness we must also know there is an alternative in the counsel of the wicked. So when you and I add to verse 2, saying we are blessed people, that we delight in the law, we may also find that a little bit odd. I'm always ready and wanting to delight in God's mercy and his grace that's poured out on me. But in delighting in the law... The law that says that I'm sinful? Well, see, without the law we can't come to understand, to know our own sinfulness and the incomprehensible love that God has poured out on us by saving us through the death of his son. That's what the law is. That's why we delight in the law. This is why we delight in law and we want to meditate on it day and night because it is a constant reminder to us of who we are that we will indeed appreciate and understand what Jesus had to endure for us. We're able to read and enjoy other books as well, but they are different altogether. 
In other books, we may learn about geography and history. We may even learn about the human body, and we may even learn about some of the things of creation. We learn about nature and the animals, and we probably also enjoy that learning. Holy Scriptures and God's law is different to other books. Within the law in Scripture, we learn about the mind and the heart of God. And we delight in it. We ought to delight in it. The order of the divine mind embodied in the divine law is truly spectacularly beautiful. Consider this. If you delight in God's law, in God's holy scriptures... It is indeed an indication of new birth. We are born again as Christians. And as we are born again, we have a new mind, a new heart. And the sinful mind, we know, is hostile to God. And the sinful mind will not ever submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Paul tells us such in Romans 8, 7. He says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It's impossible because it doesn't understand. As a result of the inward regenerating, the work of the Spirit, however, the godly find that they love the law of God simply because it conveys to them the will of their God. Delight in it. The godly will meditate on it. Pour over it constantly, day and night. To clarify all this and to contrast these two ways, it is the difference between those who love the sin and those who love God. Those of the first category love sin's way and will follow it. They will follow it slavishly. The second category, loving God, they will seek him in Scripture. And in Scripture is the only place they will find him. The next three verses are to a great extent also self-explanatory. And yet there are things within them that really require some attention, isn't there? Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. This verse speaks of the man that we have in the first verse. I also speak to you and I on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be like him. But right now, it really can only be applied to Jesus and whatever he does, whatever he has ever done, will always prosper. It is with much sadness that we read of what happens to friends and relatives who are classified as wicked. In verse 4, Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Chaff is of no value to anyone. Chaff is possibly the thing of least value in the world. The contrast of the two groups of people is frightening for some. 
and yet uplifting for us with the assurance of our salvation. The truth is, the portrayal of the perfect man as set out in verse 1 can only ever be that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Quite a few years ago now, there was a group of Jews. It was in Jerusalem and then a biblical scholar again <laughs> were asking these men who was the man in verse 1. It was suggested to them that it could have been maybe their father Abraham or maybe Moses, the lawgiver, or maybe King Davis, David, the man of God's heart. All these names were all rejected by all of them. All of them had sinned at one point or more. They all knew that. And all the Jewish man stood up and said, My brothers, I have a little book here called the New Testament. I've been reading it. And if I could believe this book, and if I could be sure that it is true, I would say that the man in the first psalm was Jesus of Nazareth. Of course, Jesus is that man. We know that. He's the only perfect man who ever lived, and he alone is the sinner's savior. And it is he who stands at the very beginning of the psalms in this book to show us the way, to show us a way to live and to help us do it by his teaching in the Beatitudes. It gives us the path. When we read that we Beatitudes, we are truly given the path to perfectness that we should strive for, that we should persevere for. In verse 6 it says in Psalm 1, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, this last verse is not a threat. It's a promise. A promise from the heart of Jesus. We have now a new year. We have a new day. And in this year we will delight in his law and meditate on it day and night. Isn't that right? May the Lord bless us all with his guidance and may he give you much joy and happiness as you come to truly understand and delight in his law as you read it and as you seek him in the only place you will find him, in the Holy Scriptures. Start with Psalm 1, reread it, read the Beatitudes, understand the path to perfectness. And may he bless you as you do. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Father, we come to you. We thank you for all your goodness. We thank you for all that you do. For sending your son to be incarnated as a man, to live amongst us, to teach us that he went willingly to the cross, Lord, and suffered death for us. And you resurrected him on the third day, restoring him to life. And through his resurrection, Lord, you have given us new life, new hope. We pray, Lord, that we will truly reflect on all these truths as you have revealed them to us 
through the guiding of your Holy Spirit. May this year be a year of change. May this year be a year of perseverance, striving, and indeed an outpouring of our love for you. May we do all this in response to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.